Good morning, Harlem. Let's thank our worship team once again. Amen. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. I'm really excited about the message today. It's been a three-year process, but we finally arrived to this lesson. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God in heaven, Father, we want to come before you thanking you for uh, our service up until this point. Father, we thank you for giving us a place where we could come and worship. Uh, Father, there's so much uh, unrest going on around the world uh, as we prayed for Ecuador earlier, God. There's fighting in Syria, God. There's so much uh, civil unrest all over the world, God. And, and we're just grateful that we can come to you in peace that we can worship you without fear of, of, of violence. Um, God, there's so many people around the world uh, who, who live in constant fear every day, and um, we, we don't have that. Uh, and we come before you, God, uh, hearts grateful, and uh, we do pray for those uh, who have to live like that every day, God. We ask that your spirit of peace uh, will intercede on their behalf, God, and that you will bring healing to these countries, God, and, and really be with our leaders, Father. I pray that peace and, and, um, and unity will be on their hearts, even above our own uh, individual agendas, God. I just pray that your spirit will take over and that, um, and, and that it will achieve what you set it out to achieve, God. Uh, please uh, be with me today, God, and let my words be yours. I pray that we'll be encouraged and inspired by the word you have for us today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today we are beginning a new series entitled Serving God According to Your Unique Design. And the reason why I said that this is, has been three years, uh, it's a, it was a series that was developed actually in Cape Town, South Africa. And I heard it several years ago, a little over three years ago. And I was looking for the opportunity to share this with the church because I do believe uh, you know, God, God has a way of encouraging us. You know, we're one huge body. We're one big, big church. And what's going on across seas can encourage us on this side of the pond and so on and so forth. So I'm encouraged to bring this to you. I do. Uh, my wife and I have been talking with several of the, the leaders of the church of ways we can get the church to use their gifts and talents to glorify God. And so in order to do that, we got to do some teaching on it. We got to do some speaking on it. And so I'm excited to get, uh, to get involved with this because I do believe when you use your talents for God, you are a, a happy person. And I think that it's, you know, you feel very disconnected from the body when you're not able to use your gifts and talents uh, within the body. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, we talked a lot over the past few months about being the church, the called out ones, and not just going to church. We do love to see you every week, but we do want you to be more involved. We want you to take more ownership of the church. And, you know, we talked about making a difference with our lives. We talked about choosing a community, building a community, being a part of a community, and walking with others who are making a difference, you know, bringing people, uh, bringing a friend along to see what we're all about, not just keeping it to ourselves, but inviting people to see, you know, Come see my community. Come see what I'm about. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that some of us are probably still a little stuck and still asking ourselves, well, where do I fit in? Do I even fit in in Harlem? 
You know, I have different interests. I have, uh, I have talents that I don't know how to use or how can they be used. You know, I can tell you right now, that's, that's, a, that's a, uh, a coffee date. You can sit down over a cup of Starbucks, and I can tell you how you can use your gifts in the church. That's a simple conversation. It doesn't take a whole lot. And, and I hope this message will really encourage and inspire you to use your God-given talents like it's encouraged me. There are talents that I have that you guys don't even know about, and that's to my shame because I haven't used all of them. And I think that there are ways that we can use our gifts and talents to glorify God. So I have three simple points. Uh, the first thing is you were designed. I think we need to have a conviction about we were designed, secondly, for a specific purpose. We know that God is our creator, but why did God create me? Did God create you for something specific? And then lastly, are you willing to be used? Once you realize that you were created for a specific purpose, are you willing to be used? Because you've got to be willing to be used, right? So let's jump into this. The first thing is you were designed. You were designed. You didn't design yourself. You were designed. Someone else with power and ability to create life had a vision for what you would be and who you would become. And that was God. In Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 5, when Jeremiah was called to the ministry, it says that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I mean, think about that. God is telling Jeremiah, he's having this, you know, this conversation with Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you, I knew you. I set you apart to make you a prophet to the nations. God had already planned what he's going to do with Jeremiah. As he formed Jeremiah, he's, he's putting in him all the ingredients that would allow him to be a prophet. Now, if you've ever read through the book of Jeremiah, you know that it took a special person to do what Jeremiah was called to do. Jeremiah was in the ministry for 40 years, and he preached some, some really intense sermons, and not a whole lot of people became followers. 40 years of preaching the same message to the same people. It takes a certain person to be able to stay at it for 40 years. Some people would have said, hey, you know what? I got some other things to do. I'm out at year five. This isn't what it's all cracked up to be. But when Jeremiah tried to leave, he said that God, he said, I can't help but speak because his word is like fire. Shut up in my bones. So I, I want to leave. There's several times that Jeremiah wanted to quit the ministry. But because God's word was in him so deeply, he couldn't help himself. That's how you know what you're called to do. When God puts something in you, it's a burning passion. It's a burning desire that even though you try to get away from it, it's like, man, I can't shake this thing. Even in the most uncomfortable situations. 
You're who you are wherever you go. You know, one of the radical concepts introduced here in this passage is the fact that God knew Jeremiah before his body was formed in a womb. The Lord was thinking about Jeremiah before he was born. God designed Jeremiah to be a prophet. Now, the other thing we learn is that God has a preordained purpose for each of our lives. And the Bible tells us that God formed Jeremiah with the expectation that one day, when the time was right, he would be a prophet to the nations. That means that he had a purpose for Jeremiah. And he equipped him with the talents necessary to fulfill that purpose before he was born. You know, people often call that our natural abilities. But there's nothing natural about it. God put that in him. God put that in him. You know, we're given God, we're given abilities in order to fulfill our pre-designed, our pre-designed makeup. There are things that God gave you that he didn't give other people. He gave them to you for a reason. He gave them to you for a reason. Now, some of us, I understand, some of us that wish we had someone else's talents or someone else's abilities. Like, I was backstage. I'm like, who's that singing soprano? I'm like, man, you know, I, I could hold a note or two, but I can't reach that. And I mean, you know, that note was carrying. Now, some of y'all were sitting there like, man, I wish I could sing like that. God didn't give that to you. He didn't give you that ability. And that's okay. He still loves you. You're still special. There are things that you do that she can't do. But it's okay. It's okay. I know y'all need more convincing, so let's look at some more scriptures. You're like, Jane, I hear you, but I need some more. I need more proof. Exodus 35. Exodus 35. Let me convince you a little bit. Exodus 35, verse 30. Now, just to give a little context here, God had freed all of his people from the Egyptians. Several million people traveling across the desert to the promised land. Now, God is a God of order. And God, because he created everybody to, you know, to have their specific purpose, when God called his people out, God said, okay, we need a place of worship, all right? He didn't put an announcement out through Moses to say, okay, make an announcement on, at church on Sunday and ask whoever would like to serve, you know, to help build uh, a, a church or a place for us to worship, and whoever has the, the heart to, in, you know, to do it, have them come up to Aaron, and then we'll, get, we'll make this thing happen. No, that's not how it works. God was very specific on how he used people and who he used and for what reason and what purpose. In Exodus 35, verse 30, says, Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Specific person, child of this one from this tribe. Don't overlook that. That's very important. It tells you just how thorough God is. All right? And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill 
ability and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and oh, uh, forgive me, Oholiab, son of Ahuzamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of works as craftsmanship, designers, embroiderers in purple, blue, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers. All of them master craftsmen and designers. So Bezal, uh, Bezazel, Bez, uh, yeah, Bezazel, even preachers have a hard time with these names, Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary or to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses sent Bezazel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. Israel has received the Ten Commandments and they, were need, they needed to go and build the tabernacle, the sanctuary for where God, God's presence would reside in the ark. He called skilled craftsmen. Now you notice that the guys who God chose were guys who had, he had given specific skills for a specific purpose. He had given these skills, these abilities, his knowledge in design and craftsmanship. And these guys came forward and they volunteered their abilities to help build the tabernacle. Now, verse 35, it says that he filled them, he filled them with skill to do all kinds of work in these artistic areas. In verse 34, it says that he had given them the ability to teach others. In these skills. So, in other words, other people who had these natural abilities, these men were able to teach them how to do the craftsmanship that was needed and the work that was needed to build the tabernacle and the sanctuary. Now, in chapter 36, in verse 2, it says, Every, every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come. And do the work. Now, knowing God's unique design for you and being willing to use by God are two different things. When you know that you are skilled in an area, that you have talent, that you have gift, that's one thing. But the willingness to use that is another thing. These men were willing to come forward and help build the sanctuary of God. They knew they had the till they, they knew they had the talent, they knew they had the ability, but what was missing, the next step now was, are you willing to use that to help build up God's sanctuary? You know, you'll notice that four times in a short passage, it describes people that were gifted with abilities in design. Now you may wonder sometimes, well, how come so and so you know, how come it's the same people doing this? Or how come it's the same people doing that? You may have people who are willing, but don't have the ability. See, there's another side to that coin. You may have people who are more than willing. Hey, I will come up and I'll, but 
They don't have the ability. And so God would not put them in a position that they are not designed for. When you read through the Old Testament, when it came down to the worship, there was an entire tribe that was designated for the worship. They were skilled in worship. They didn't have the craftsmen in the worship team. And the worship team in the craftsmen. God was like, no, everybody's going to have a role. And in order for everyone to feel and have some ownership, we need to spread this out. Now, there are people who are multi-talented. There are people who could do this, this, who could sing while they're braiding some gold twine or whatever. But that's when it comes down to, okay, well, where did God give you the passion? Because now you have the talent, but you may not have a passion where you have that talent. Does that make sense? Now, if your passion is for singing and you can actually have, you have the ability to sing, then sing. But if you have the ability to sing, but you also have a talent for art and your passion is in art, then you do art. Now, you can sing, but your passion is in art. So then God put people where they would do their best. And it takes humility to really be okay with that. It takes humility, and it also takes honesty because it's like, look, you don't want to be stretched too thin, so you can't be doing everything. You may have a lot of talents. And here's the thing about Harlem. We will use every ounce of talent you give us. That's the thing that makes us so wonderful. If you're willing, we will use you. We're not really good at saying no to people. I'm still trying to grow in that. But if people are willing and they tell me, bro, I can do this, then you know what I'm going to say? A to the man, when can you start? Because there are always needs. Now, here's where things get tricky. Brother so-and-so and and sister so-and-so are doing five other things. And there are people in the tribe who have gifts in those talents in those areas because they were designed for those areas, but for some reason they're not doing it. And we're going to talk about that later. In Deuteronomy 8, you may say to yourself, well, hey, James, you know what? Yeah, I'm talented, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm... I'm skilled and and I'm successful. I went to college. I studied hard. I'm a successful businessman. I've learned through books. I've gone through seminars and I make money. I'm I'm pretty secure. and, and, And I've done all this through hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. Deuteronomy 8 says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Sometimes we get caught up in ourselves. In our talent and our abilities, oh, we can do this, we can do that. And we forget who gave it to us in the first place. You may say to yourself, my hands produced this wealth for me. Well, it's God who gave you that ability to produce wealth in the first place. See, our abilities, we didn't give them to ourselves. They develop over practice. It's like when we first learn to walk. We all have this innate 
desire in us when we're children to eventually walk. You don't see five-year-olds crawling across the carpet. You don't see 10-year-olds crawling across the carpet. At some point in time in that infant's life, they get the urge to stand up and walk. Now, you get better as you practice, but that ability to walk was put in us by God. We practice, and that's what makes our talent stronger. That's what makes them better, is that we practice what God has already put inside of us. So, yes, you worked hard. Yes, you've honed your skills, but it was not you who gave that to yourself. You're just practicing what God gave you. You know, we look at these freakishly talented people like Tiger Woods, and we're thinking, how could this guy be so good? You know, his, his uh, late father, Earl Woods, wrote a book, Training a Tiger. And he talked about how much they practiced and how much dedication went into it, but he had to have something to work with. To be as good as a Tiger Woods or a Michael Jordan or a LeBron James or, uh, 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 you know, some of these, what's the guy, the soccer guy, Ronaldo? I mean, to be these I mean, incredible athlete, you have to be born with a certain ability to do what they do. And then you practice and you get better. And that's how they become the best at their sport or where they're at. Because, but it had to be something. You and I can't just walk into a gym and think, you know what, I want to join the NBA. I, I, I'm going I'm to work hard. I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to go to the course, rain and shine. You can do that. Your game will improve. You may even be able to make some shots and some layups. But if you don't have the ability, there's a lot of eye-hand coordination. There's a lot of things that are behind the scenes that make an athlete an athlete. If you don't have those things already in you, you're not going to get as far as you would hope. See, God puts these things in us. We are uniquely designed. There are over 7.7 billion people on our planet. Everyone has fingerprints. No two are the same. There's not a production line in heaven where God is mass producing human beings and sending them down to earth. God is designing each and every one of us individually. Individual. You may look like someone, you may favor someone, but you are unique. You, are, you may even be a twin, and you're still unique. You are set apart for God. All these things God designed with a purpose in mind. Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29, verse 15, it says, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness, and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? You know, the Bible here is describing God as the potter. We are the clay in his hands. He's the designer. We are designed. We, you know, we can't say that we're flawed. When you were made, God designed you. God made you the way you are. 
He gave you your desire. He gave you the abilities that you have, the things that you're drawn to, the things that God put all the good stuff in us to bring us glory. Now, you know, obviously sin corrupts a lot of the things that God puts in us. A lot of the things that God made to be beautiful, sin is corrupted. But that's not, that's not for us to worry about in the sense of, you know, that's my fault. No, that was, that was way before we even came on the scene. But what you and I can do is avoid the things that corrupts the good things that God put in us by being about what God made us to do. That's the safest way to avoid. I mean, imagine, imagine if the world, if everyone in the world lived according to design that God put in them. Imagine what our world would look like if we all did what God designed us to do and become. You know, I want to ask you to acknowledge, ask yourself this question. Are you willing to admit that the natural talents and abilities you have were given to you by God? Sometimes people have a hard time admitting that they didn't have something to do with that. Our ability, when we realize that it was given to us, then we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to act in kind. So you were designed, secondly, you were designed for a specific purpose. You were designed for a specific purpose. Ephesians 2 verse 10 For we are God's craftsmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, what is clear from the Bible is that, one, God designed us. Secondly, God has empowered us with raw talent. And then third, we're prepared, he's prepared certain work for us to do while we're here on earth. You're not just here on earth to go sightseeing. To get a job, to have a family, and then die. God gave you something to do with your life while you're here. There's a reason that you made it out of all your X amount of millions of brothers and, swim, and, and, and sisters that were swimming to that egg. You made it. And that's not by chance. You're, you, you, know, you're, you made it. Out of all the billions that could have been, you made it. God chose you, and he chose you for a specific reason. For a specific, I'll never forget the story of my mom. When my mom was pregnant with me, the doctors told her that I was a tumor and that, that she should have me removed. And so my mom, I don't know what it was, I think it was God who spoke and just said, no. Back in the 70s, uh, you know, our technology wasn't like it is today. There was something in her. She felt strongly, nah, I, I don't think so. And later on, found out that she was pregnant with her first child. I wouldn't have been here, but you know, now you might, I might give credit to my mother, her, her intuition, but I think it was God who said, uh-uh-uh, that's not a tumor. I got a job for this one. I got a job for that tumor. 
And I thank God that my mom followed God's plan because I wouldn't have been here. And I think all of us could say the same. Like, man, you know, we need to thank God. We made it. We're alive. And we're alive for a reason. I like how the New Century Version says it says, God has made us what we are. In Jesus Christ, God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. What are you doing with the talents that God has given you? Are you using them for yourself or are you using them to pur- for the, f- the purpose of which God has given them to you? Are you doing the work that God prepared in advance for you to do? You know, he says good works. So there's some good work we're supposed to be doing with what God has given us. Now you may ask, well, I, I don't know what God designed me to do. What, what, what specific work did God prepare for me to do on earth? I don't know, James. I'm glad you asked. Look over in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. I'm going to get you out of here soon. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14 says, Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that would be scary. Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. The Bible describes the church was designed just like the human body was. Each part has a specific role to play and each part is important. Every one of us has a pre-designed function that God wants us to play within the body. The way you discover your your God-given purposes the way you find out within the body of Christ what you're, what you're able to do, what you're passionate about, the only way to do that is you've got to start with prayer, and then you've got to follow that passion that God put in you. Now, maybe, maybe you were turned down before. You were very passionate about something, and you wanted to do it, and you wanted to start this thing, and you wanted to go, and you were like, ah, I can't wait to get this. I can't wait to tell James. I can't wait to tell Zelie. And we were like, ooh, now, you know, now may not be a good time for that. Here's the thing. Every passion doesn't have to be a project. Every, every talent doesn't have to be in front of the church. There's things that God designed that doesn't need to be, and he didn't want to be. In front of the church. There are a lot of things that the body, within our body, is behind the scenes that are important. Now, we spend a lot of time putting our makeup on and putting, you know, making sure that our, our beards are nice and straight and that our hairs are cut and that, you know, our teeth are straight and we, we go to the gym because of what we see on the outside. But here's the thing. What's on the outside is depending on what's on the inside. If your heart is bad, what, how you, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. Your heart is bad. If your kidneys aren't working properly, then that's what? There's a problem. If your liver is not functioning properly, it's a problem. If your stomach is not functioning properly, it's a problem. You don't see those things. As a matter of fact, it would be gross if they were on the outside. There's a reason God kept them on the inside. Our intestines on the inside. It wouldn't look right on the outside. So there are some things 
that God wants to be on the outside. But I believe that a lot of the important things get done that nobody sees. All the behind the scenes stuff, all the people who don't get their names mentioned, all the people who do the stuff that needs to get done because it needs to get done or else the body won't function. They are important. They're important. So if you only look to what you can do outside of the body, you may never discover what God has given you to do on the inside. You know, I thought about just our society. And I think about all the talented people we have around us. I mean, think about this, right? The things that people do outside of the body of Christ that are not according to God's design and purpose. Like chemists who make cocaine and, and, and uh, methamphetamine and, and, and opioids and all these different narcotics that are destroying people's lives. Brilliant people. Educated people. Smart people. I can't just walk into a lab and do all that. I don't have that. I don't have the capacity to remember all the elements of what, what, what goes with what and what won't blow my face off and all that stuff. I don't, I'm not wired that way. But there are some people who are, and instead of using that for good, they choose to use it outside of God's purpose. Think about all the drug dealers. Organized crime. The gift of leadership that's being wasted on criminal activity. Now say what you want about drug dealers. They're effective. I mean, there would not be addicts in the world if they weren't effective at what they do. Organized criminals. I mean, there's... Drugs are getting here somehow. Somebody's outthinking the authorities and all this stuff. They're figuring it out. Designed, using what God gave them outside of God's purpose. Imagine if these people use their gifts for God's glory. You know, our eyes were never designed, our brains were never designed for the purpose of viewing pornography. Pornography actually destroys your brain. It's more addictive than cocaine. Your mind was not created to absorb that kind of content. You literally have to reboot your brain to get off of it. It's not how we were designed. When we don't use our, our bodies the way God designs it, things go awry. Our hands were not created for beating our spouse. Our lungs were not designed to be filled with smoke so we can get high on nicotine. That is not what you were designed for. When we don't use the Bible, when we don't use our abilities for God's way, things go terribly wrong. And it doesn't just affect you, it affects those around you. Now hear me. I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that all work done outside the body of Christ is wrong, obviously. I mean, there are a lot of things that's done outside the body that are great things. You know, people who go and, 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 and serve communities and 
who serve the underprivileged, things that, you know, that we may not do, the people that you know, we may never get to see. There are people who are out there who are doing a lot of things on the ground, visiting uh, countries that we can't even pronounce. I mean, places that you can only get, get to by boat and, and, and with a guide. I mean, there are places on this earth we, are not even, we're, we, may, never, we may never get to see. And there are people out there because they have a passion to help people who are not a part of our church that are doing these things. So there's a lot of good that happens outside of the body. So I'm not saying that everything that's outside of the body is a bad thing. I'm talking about when we use things that God has given us to not build it up. I mean, it just doesn't help us. You know, when you look at what you're able to do within the body of Christ, then you can understand how you can use your gifts outside of the body of Christ. Because then you make a direct connection, a direct link between your God-given purpose and how you can win those in the world and show them, hey, you know what? You are very talented. I, I noticed that you're, you're, you're very courageous. You're very, you know, very well-spoken. You know, I've even incorporated that in my evangelism. When I reach out to people, if I notice something, I compliment that because it's a God-given ability. You see a father... In the, in the grocery store, in the park with his children. Hey, man, you know, I, I, I appreciate you don't see that a lot. You know, that's a very, very endearing thing to do, man. It's a very encouraging, inspiring thing to see. You know, father taking the time out to be with his kids, man. You know, that's, that's amazing. And you get that conversation going. People need that encouragement. And before you realize, you're helping that person to see God put that in you. And you're using it the way God wants you to use it. You're being a father to your son. You're on the right track. Now let me just show you a little bit more how to get further down the road. There's ways we can use this to help people. We've been designed by God for a specific purpose. And now the question is, are you willing to be used? Are you willing to be used? Ephesians 4, verse 11 Sorry, my thing is possessed. Has a mind of his own. There you go. He ain't doing what it's designed to do. Ephesians 4, verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. I can testify to that. Um, I never wanted to be in the ministry. I, I never wanted to be a patch, uh, preacher. People call me pastor. Amen. I'll take it. Uh, that was not in my, my career plan. That was not... In my things to do, I wanted to do a whole lot of other things with my life. But right here it says it was he who gave some. So I got to blame God for that. I mean, that was not something, even when people told me that I would be a good minister, I'm like, what are you talking about? That is not what I want to do. I didn't see myself in that way. And sometimes that's, that's what keeps us from doing the things God says is we don't see it, so therefore we don't believe that that's what we need to be doing. But our gifts are so obvious sometimes to people that it's scary. And you'll wonder, how do you not see it? It's because we're not willing to see it. It wasn't until I was willing to see, okay, God, I, I'm a disciple. I said, Jesus is Lord. Use me however you want. Then the doors started to open. I didn't put in an application. I didn't even tell the, 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 the evangelist at the time that that's what I wanted to do. 
I just put it out there to God. If this is what you want me to do, then amen. And then everything fell into place. If God created you to do something, it's going to keep coming back to you. Someone's going to say it. You're going to have that nagging feeling. You're going to try to shake it like Jonah. You'll even try to run away, hop on a boat and go across halfway across the world. And God will bring you right back. I designed you for a reason. I gave you a specific thing to do. And see, when we have it in us, the purpose is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, that's the goal is for all of us to use our God-given ability to help mature the church. When every part of the body, you know, your body grows together. Your left foot doesn't stay at size two while your right foot is growing up to an adult size. An adult size. No, it, it grows together. And as a body, we need to grow together. We need to grow and go in the same direction. Your right arm is not going to pull you this way and your left arm is going to pull you this way. You'll tear your body in half. The body goes in the same direction. Where the left hand goes, this is my left, yeah. The left hand goes, the right hand goes. The left eye goes that way, the right, your body goes in the same direction. And so is the same with the body of Christ. In verse 16, for him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, God is the one who appoints the leaders in the church. Now, I know some of us may not agree with that, but God is the one who allows the leadership in the church to be in the church. You may not always agree or even like your leaders. Talk to Jesus. Like I said, it's not what I wanted to do. This is what he wanted. So he knew, all right, I'm going to put James in there with all his flaws. All his strengths, all his weaknesses, all his hang-ups, his good character, his bad character, his good habits, his bad habits. I'm still going to use this is what I want him to do. And I want him to do it in harmony. I'm like, all right, Jesus, this is what you want me to do. You guys know I left for four years. I left. And I said, I'm done. I was ready to go on with my life, a new chapter. God said, okay, go ahead, take your break. <laughs> Not only did he call me back, he called me back to Harlem. I'm like, is that not a Jonah story? And you know, here's the thing. It's so God. It is just so God. When God calls you to do something, he will bring you right back, and he'll bring you right back, and you'll keep trying to avoid, no, I don't want to do this, no, I don't want to. Why do people keep asking you to do it? Think about that. It's because you have a gift. Why do they keep asking you to do that specific thing? It's because you have a gift. And the only way the church can be fully matured is that everybody are willing, is every one of us are willing to do it. 
I had to be willing to come back. I had to see that, you know what, God, I had to accept the fact, because I was still denying that this was all I was cut out to be. This was all I was called to do. And sometimes, you know, I wouldn't advise you to do this, but you, I had to walk away from it. Not only to see it, but also to appreciate. To appreciate the honor of serving like this. You know, I think sometimes we look at our gifts as a curse. We look at them as, I don't want to do this. I want to do something more glorious. I want to do something, I want to do something that I'm, I'm more comfortable with. I've been there. But when you surrender to God, you start to appreciate the fact that God chose you in the first place. And you start to thank God. There's not a day that goes by where I don't thank God that I get to do this. That, I, that, I, that this keeps me humble. This keeps me humble. And I appreciate the fact that you guys make this job a joy. You know, when, we, when a body doesn't function the way it does, and we're going to wrap it up, when a body doesn't function the way it does, it, it eventually becomes unhealthy. And because we're a part of a larger body, when Harlem doesn't do well, it affects the New York church. When the New York church doesn't do well, it affects the whole church. If Harlem is not growing, that's not encouraging to the Bronx. If Harlem is not growing, that's not encouraging to the Manhattan when Harlem is not growing, that's not encouraging to Brooklyn. That's discouraging. And our brother Angel's all the way from DR. When Harlem is not doing well, they feel it in DR. When DR is not doing well, we feel it here in Harlem. We're connected. And so we need people willing to work together, willing to use their gifts to build up the church because we need to encourage and inspire each other. There's a spiritual disease that's going around killing churches. You know, everybody is susceptible to disease, virus. Some we can overcome, some will take people out. And I want to, I want to talk about a spiritual, got a few minutes, a spiritual disease that's killing churches. It's the disease of selfishness. Come on now. There we go. There we go. Selfishness, when selfishness takes over, it can kill a church. There's ten quick ways. Ten ways selfishness can kill a church. Don't come to church. You know, when the members decide that, you know, I'm not going to come, you can't support or be supported by the ligaments if you don't show up. That's, that kills the body. If you don't come, or if you do come, make sure it's late. I'll get there when I get there type of attitude. That will eventually, if everybody imitated that, we'll kill a church. We'll kill a church. The third thing, only show up when the weather is good. Let me ask you a question. When's the, what's the worst weather you've ever come, traveled to come to church in? If you can't remember, that's a problem. We should all have a bad weather story on our way to church. 
Because we've definitely come here in some terrible weather. Find fault with everything and or everyone in the church. Here's the thing about fault finders. They always spot problems but rarely solve them. Number five, never never accept your leadership role or responsibility. It was he who gave some to be leaders. There's some people who have an innate ability to lead. The Bible says if it's leadership, let them lead. Some people want to lead. That's a different thing. Again, going back to the willingness and the ability, you may have the willingness but not the ability. If you have the ability to lead, the Bible says you should lead. That's your purpose in the church is to lead. Now, you may not feel like you're ready to lead right now. Who does? There are things that I get asked to do, and I'm thinking, do you all understand that I lead a church? Did I lead a region already, and you asked me to do something else? Why? Because I'm a leader. Leaders are responsible. We take responsibility. I mean, think about Nehemiah. He took responsibility for all of Jerusalem. He wasn't even there. But because he's a leader, he felt responsible. He felt responsible for helping to rebuild God's people. Number six. So now I just gave that away. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. All right, there we go. Then the flip side to that is you get mad if you're not asked to lead. Let me just say again, if you are not asked to lead, it's probably because that's not your ability. It's not because we don't think highly of you or we don't think that you're a great person. It's maybe because that's just not your gift. You may have another gift that we can use. It may not. As a matter of fact, you may even have a great idea because we have some very creative disciples in the church. You may be the person that comes up with the idea, but you may not be the person to lead the group. You got to be okay with that. You got to be okay with that. Think about when Jesus called the, the first call to 12, Andrew was the first one bringing people to Jesus. But Jesus didn't give him the keys to the kingdom. He gave it to Peter. Why? Because Peter was his chosen leader for the group. Aaron brought them. Peter led them. We got to be okay with that. Seven, do only what is necessary. I'm going to show up, go home, not engage anyone, mind my business, because I don't want anybody in mind. I'm not going to get involved, and I'm not going to ask. That will eventually kill the church. If everybody just showed up, didn't engage, and left and kept to themselves, the church never gets healthy that way. We got to be engaging with one another. We got to get in each other's lives in order to speak the truth in love to one another. Do only what is absolute, you know, give only what is comfortable. God gives to us generously so that we can give to others generously. Time, finances, God gives us, gives to us so that we can give back, not so that we can keep to ourselves. I know time is valuable. I know time is precious. But time does not belong to you. Time, God gives us what he gives us so that we can help each other. I, you know, I, I'm always appreciating when I hear stories of brothers and sisters 
you know, going to visit someone and, and, and spending time with them without even being asked, just because it's in them to do so. That's what helps the church stay healthy. So if you don't hear from one person, there's somebody on their way to see you. That's what helps keep attitudes from festering and keeping hearts from getting hard. It's when everybody has someone looking out for them. But we can't do that if we stay in our comfort zone. Protecting your excuses. Well, James, what do you mean by that? Sometimes our emotions, our feelings are intimately connected to our excuses. If you hate rejection, then that emotion is going to be attached to your evangelism. You're afraid to share your faith because you're, you're afraid of rejection. And so that's my excuse for not sharing my faith. I'm afraid of rejection. We're guarding our hearts. We're guarding our feelings. So you're going to guard anything attached to that, even if it's an excuse. An excuse. I get overwhelmed easily. Okay, well, then you're going to attach that to not serving. Just do what you can. There's things that we can do around that. And then lastly, we don't reach out to the unchurched. The body won't grow if the body won't grow. We need more people to help reach more people. I mean, think about what new people do to our church. They bring in fresh perspective. They bring in new ideas. This is one thing I love. They bring in new energy. Because some of us are tired, right? We need some new people to, to serve and, and, and to do the things that you've been doing for 25 years. I mean, new people bring in new, it brings in freshness. It brings in new ideas. So we can't, you know, we, we want to keep growing. That means we've got to get more people involved. Reaching out to more people. Because that's how the body grows. What can you do? To build up the body of Christ. I encourage you to start doing it. I encourage you to do what God has put in you to do. You were designed for a specific purpose. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to figure out, okay, this is what God has given me. This is what I'm passionate about. Let me figure out how I can do this to build up the body of Christ. When we do this will be an, a glorious church, a healthier church, and it will be an unstoppable church. Amen? The God be the glory.